Listener Production. KickPod acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Yulukut Wulan clan of the Boomerang, who are a part of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging, and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the KickPod, your DM on the stuff that matters, but also the stuff that doesn't. One, two, three, Hello. How excited are you for this podcast? I am very excited. Yeah. Because our guest today, mm-hmm. Trini Woodall, I was very, very lucky I got to meet her, which I spoke about in this podcast. I spoke about it a lot. I just She made a very, very, very big impact on me. And she has just some incredible messages mm. for women in particular, especially women in business and also mm-hmm. just confidence in general. And after meeting her, I just... My first thing was like, we have to get Trini on the podcast because I, everyone has to hear. Like, I just mm. wanted to share all these things that impacted me so much. I was like, oh, I don't want to have this conversation in private. I want to have it in public. Well, since you've also met her, I started following her on Instagram as well. And I love her content. She's she's a great energy. She's fantastic and wonderful. And so if you're thinking, Laura, who's I don't listen to the podcast. I just started listening today. I don't know what you're talking about. So Trini Woodall is a British beauty entrepreneur. So Trini is the founder of Trini London, mm. which is a very, very big, successful skincare and beauty brand. Mm-hmm. She's the CEO of that company. She is a fashion and makeup expert. You might remember Trini and Susanna from the show What Not to Wear. Mm-hmm. That's the same Trini that we're talking to today. And she's a TV presenter and an author. And so obviously, as I said before, she rose to fame through her time in as Trini and Susanna, but then she has gone on and founded Trini London. She's an incredible businesswoman. And I just love her story and her journey. And there's so much, so many golden nuggets of advice mm. um, that Trini has. So we are so excited to share this with you. Trini, welcome to the Kickpod. We are so excited to have you on. I'm very happy to be here, girls. I say girls because I'm just about to be 60. So it's like <laughs> I call everyone girls in my office. It's <laughs> it's kind of like whether they're 18 or whatever, it's a generic term. It's my appreciation of the joy and energy of lower midlife. <laughs> well, I'm so happy to be called a girl by and, you, Trini. <laughs> and we are, we're just so excited to have you, Trini. I attended your dinner that you hosted when you were doing all of your PR in Australia for your incredible brand, Trini London. And anyone that spoke to me within a month of that dinner were like, okay, Laura, if you're going to talk about the dinner again, you, I've already heard the story. <laughs> because it was just honestly, like we're so lucky that we get to go to a lot of events with our jobs. But that energy in that room that you created and the energy that you bring, it just made me want to be a better CEO, better at my job. Just It, it was I, it was, it was so inspiring. And, and you I obviously it just makes like it's such a testament to the success that you have because you just, you owned that room and you were vulnerable and kind and it was just, it was so special. So I am so excited. I've literally, as soon as I, we had that dinner, I was like, oh, if we just have to get Trini on the podcast yes. to <laughs> share all of your wisdom. Well, the last thing I'll say on that dinner is The thing is about mutual strong energy in a room, you know, and that's what that room had. And it was about everyone giving and then receiving because we all did it. And I got so much out of that dinner. You know, people always think, okay, you gave so much, but it's like, I got so much and I only get my energy from stuff like that. That's like what I feed on, you know. (laughs) 
that's my food. But it is because it's, it's you then get ideas from people, you feel inspired by people. And it's all about how you can get people to be a tiny bit vulnerable. And it's about vulnerability. Because if we're all with our defenses on and we have a dinner or you go to an influencer dinner, um, everyone's got their face on. You know? mm. And it's about how you can take somebody's face off so that they can, which weird, metaphorically speaking, being the founder of a beauty brand is not thing to say, <laughs> but I all cleanses, um, is to allow people to trust and be vulnerable. Talk about their fears. Oh, it, it was it was so special, and I literally I literally <laughs> cried for like thirty minutes, and I couldn't stop, which I usually don't do. But you, you just created the, the safest place. We wanted to to start by speaking to you and hearing how you have navigated. You, it's interesting. Obviously, you're in the beauty industry with with Trini London, which is female dominated. However, I know at the top, it's very male dominated, which is quite interesting because women are the consumers of of most beauty products, right? Especially within investment, it is such a male dominated space. How, how have you navigated it? First of all, I have to say that the people who are visual in beauty are women. Charlotte Tilby, Pat McGrath, Bobby Brown. I don't even see men, you know? And it's like, what's in your vision and what do you make in your vision? So people ask this question around how do you navigate? And, and I never attach a gender to myself. It's a weird thing to say, but I don't because I'm quite male and female, all right? And I think all of us have a different element of male and female. And we bring out those according to our situation and our surroundings. So I know in some meetings I can be quite alpha and other times I can be quite vulnerable. And it's really, when you go in somewhere, you kind of think, what hat am I wearing today? And it's also about feeling the room. So I don't put it into classic, how do I navigate a man's world? I don't think I've ever looked at it like that. And how it's so interesting you say that because I think especially in leadership, when we think of the traits of, I suppose, quote unquote, a successful leader, often there are things like a man might come into a, to a boardroom and, you know, speak the whole time, but they're seen as, seen as really confident. Mm-hmm. But then if, if their male or female counterpart were to do the same thing, it's kind of the interpretation can be, and this is what we speak, our listeners feedback to us a lot, you know, they're too much, they're too arrogant, all of those things. How have you been able to I suppose, feel the room, read the room and test those different energies because that's something that I struggle with a lot. Like, how do you know how to show up? I think I don't believe that. Mm. I think it's like, I don't know if it's an ego, but I do feel that, I do feel when I go in a room, it depends how self-aware you are, Mm. that then you're like, oh my God, am I being to this? Am I being to that? And it's about how can we go in the room and not have, take away that sense of, am I good enough? So we talk about, lots of people talk about imposter syndrome. And I think that through my life, when I have felt insecure or fearful, it's because I felt lacking in knowledge. Simple. Just didn't have the knowledge, so I didn't feel confident. So... It's about learning. It's about equipping yourself with the knowledge. Because if you go in and you feel knowledgeable, you just then can own yourself more. So therefore, I don't care if somebody thinks I'm arrogant or speak too much or whatever. I have the knowledge. I have that belief in myself. So that's me. You know, take it or leave it. I I really feel that. But when there's been times when I've thought, I don't know if I have the knowledge or I don't feel confident, then I've done different things. 
So I've either gone and found somebody who I feel knows stuff. I've learned off them. You know, I've, I've sort of thought, what do I need to know? Where are my weak spots here? What do I need to feel that if somebody asks me a question? Because as women, we want to know 100% of the answer. Men are very happy to know 50%. Mm. And we just need have that need to, to really feel we know our shit before we go and talk. So know your shit, you know, go and learn it. And if you don't know it and somebody asks you a question, fake it to make it, you know, because that's probably what is happening in the room anyway. And it's having the confidence, perhaps, to fake it to make it. It's not about going in there and bullshitting, but it's about, let's say, you know, there's been times when, okay, this is a classic thing that will happen when you go into a predominantly male environment and you're asking for a, a money investment, is that if you are a woman, probably they focus more on how do you protect your downside. And if you're a man, they're like, how do you scale the business? There's certain questions that are quite conservative male might ask a woman. So I might just think, well, I'll give a tokenism to, well, I'll do that. But what I really want to tell you is how I'm going to scale the business. And it's like, don't let somebody get away with asking you something that they wouldn't ask a man. Sometimes I have called people out. But I think that when you call people out, because... Some men have fragile egos. They might not invite you back in. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to kind of, that's where you've got to read the room. You've got to think, is it here that I feel I'm never going to get an investment, so let me just tell them what I think? Or is it that, you know, they're interesting, they also speak intelligently, they're telling me some interesting information. They just happen to have a pre-judgment on how women are and how men are. I don't know if I'm answering the question, but it's no. like, these are all the things I do. That's exactly what we're after. <laughs> no, and I think it was awesome that you touched on on learning. And I know I've listened to uh, some podcasts that you've been on before where you've mentioned things like how much, and even earlier when you touched on with the dinner and things like that, that fuels you. And I suppose anytime you do have these conversations and you meet more and more people, I've heard you speak to how much you love meeting new people and talking to new people because you learn every time about how to be around different people. And so I think that feeds into the whole learning side, right? Because when faking it till you make it can't work. It's just keep putting yourself out there, keep meeting new people. And for us in the business, keep having difficult conversations with different personality types and learn to then get to a point where you can read a room. Yeah. Because, you know, we all have, it's like this difference between instinct and intuition. So what do you think is the difference between the two? Oh, good question. I don't know. I've never, I have never thought about it. I, I would say the simplest way for me is intuition is gut. Mm. It's like a force in you. Instinct is your brain. You know, even though you can like instinctively shy away from the hot fire. Mm. But I think there is a difference in following your gut or following what could be a fear, you know, because your instinct might be fear-based and your intuition, I don't think would ever be fear-based. How do you know the difference? Can you feel it? How do you know the difference? Okay. Yeah. So just try and think of some situations where you felt challenged and think what you did and think what you did where things were, had a successful outcome and think where you did things where you didn't have such a successful outcome. And it could be one was your intuition and one was your instinct. An instinct needn't always be bad. You know, your, your hand away from the hot fire, it's a good instinct. 
don't phone yourself. But, you know, my instinct when I'm feeling fearful is to kind of run away or I'm not good enough or all those kind of things. So I'll sort of think, oh, they're not going to get it, you know. Whereas intuitively I'm thinking, I have a fucking good idea. Mm. I know women want this idea. That's my intuition. I know it. It's like there's no logical reason. I just know. And I suppose instinct too, that would be in a lot of instances, your brain protects you from Mm -hmm. fear and fear Mm -hmm. is sometimes failing or often failing. And so if you're always like feeding into that instinct, you're never going to put yourself out there. I mean, for us, Mm -hmm. we probably well, kick definitely wouldn't be where it is today if we didn't. Because I, I often see a lot of people, I think they're, they're trying to preserve this self-image and, you know, not wanting to fail. Mm. And so they've always got one foot in and one foot out. It's always like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm trying this, but I'm not sure yet. And yeah. it's like, well, if you don't believe in your gut, I suppose in your intuition that it's going to work, yeah. then it's not going to work because you're the one that's going to have to drive it. So I think yeah. that's, that is such good advice. I've never actually split the two, <laughs> but now, now I think about it, I think it's something that we do. And then also that instinct... That instinct can be this guy. Mm. Do you know who this guy is? <laughs> this is the black bird on your shoulder who's not you mm. who tells you shit about yourself. And it keeps going in your ear like... Ee! And it's like you've got to just go, mm. you know, put it away. Because it is that also that thing of separating our thoughts from us and they're not the same. And it's something that I've talked a lot with my daughter about because she went through some anxiety recently. And, you know, so her head is telling her stuff. But, you know, if she looks around, she's very safe and and she's surrounded by friends, but something here is doing this. Mm. And it's like, that's also what leads us to have a foot in and a foot out, like you described. Because it's that when you kind of, you really want to trust your instinct, but you have this voice just saying, "Mm, I'm not sure, and you know, other people are doing it too and look how well they do it and can you do it as well? And and you just have that. And it's like you need to sort of quieten that outside voice Mm. for your intuition to come up. Yeah, no, 100%. And go, hey, I I know. (laughs) 100%. And I I hope we get the visual of you doing this because it's it's definitely, I think, something that everyone can relate to is is that, that other voice that doesn't truly believe maybe in you. Trini, we can't have you on without obviously mentioning your incredible business, Trini London. One, like, it's a brand that we are both big fans of. Uh, we have a lot of the, the lip-to-cheek pots, <laughs> the best. Um, and I would love to know, as the CEO and founder of that business, what is your biggest drive? What is your why for that business? The why is shifting the needle for women, 100%. The why is the very important element of anything because I think the why has to come before even products you make, you know, and we talk about companies with a purpose and with a mission nowadays or a B Corp, but I think that's been around for a long time. You know, Steve Jobs wanted to make life, people's lives easier. So he, you know, did laptops and mobiles. Um, for me, it's, I, I spent so many years making over women around the world and I just saw what stopped them reaching their full potential. And it might be, to some people, incredibly superficial, the concept of a makeover. But what it does, it allows some people who are blinded to see their full potential. So when I used to make women over, whether I was in Israel on the West Bank or in Australia or in America, 
they would do their, you know, we did their makeup, hair and clothing. And the first thing somebody was prepared to see in the mirror, and these are some people who did not like looking in the mirror, was their face. And then they see their face and they think, oh, I like what I see. And then that allowed them to see their hair change, which hopefully we've done a good job. And they'd go like that. And then with that little confidence, they could then see the thing that most women have issues, you know, or have had. I'm not saying most women, but it's like of all the things women are most uncomfortable with, more commonly spoken about is, is body dysmorphia of some kind. And so it allowed then a woman to say, I'm acceptable or that's nice or I like this version of myself. And therefore that instills in a woman a little more confidence. And some people need to be fed totally on the inside. And some women need to be helped on the outside in order to get onto the inside and really give them that confidence. And one of the nicest things of what I do, there's two of the nice things of what I do. One is meeting women. I love meeting women. So I went to, came to Australia and I went to the Westfield in Bondi and met lots of women there. And I went to Doncaster in Melbourne where I met a ton of women. And men too, actually. Um, but this feeling they had, and there's some women who are part of this Trini tribe, and they're all dotted around the world, but they have the same energy. And I will look at the Facebook pages of these Trini tribe pages, and I see a woman who never posted a picture of herself, you know, saying, first time I post a picture. And there's 400 comments from the tribe saying, you look incredible. Wow, love that on you. Mm -hmm. And just like, I can just see these women sort of blossoming in this kind of respect from other women. And that's, that's the why. And, and through what we do and through all the different things we do from making the takeover show to producing products to producing great skincare, we give people the tools. We give them the education. We give them the products. But it's that final feeling that you see when a woman is flourishing that is the most delicious thing to behold. And it's so nice to hear that. I mean, what, what we do at Kik, we have a health and wellness app and a lot of people in our community will come in to, you know, be more empowered to move their body or become more educated on what to eat and things like that. But what the most special thing for us is, and it's so similar, is that you can't, you give the tools and yes, we're an app, but it's not about the app. It's about the way that they feel and it might be the way that they've never felt comfortable wearing a sports bra before without a top. But it's not that their body has changed, but it's that that confidence is in them. Yeah. And I think it is It is so special um, to be able to have that impact on people. And I wanted to ask, with obviously all of the work that you do, I mean, obviously when you were in Australia, I was looking at your schedule and you, you were from like 7am until 11pm and that's kind of your, following you on social media, that's a, a lot, of, you're very, very, very busy and it's all, all about Trini London, right? Is that the thing that drives you? And when, when do you have a goal of where you want to get to and when you're going to get there? Or do you, is it just about trying to impact as many people as you can? I definitely have people involved in my business who want me to define this goal, this exit, this moment. Mm. And they've made me be aware of what I should be looking at. But when you focus too much on the goal and not the journey, the journey falters. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel it's really important. You know, we, we see a lot of these things of exiting all these, you know, businesses exiting or doing this. And I just feel you've got to really focus on the journey. And if you focus on the journey, the exit will take care of itself, whatever that might be. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I am 59. I feel I'm 30. I will work till I die. Um, 
I enjoy it. I work really hard, yes. And I do feel this year I want to make some work-life balance a little bit because I have my daughter, she's 19. She won't be at home forever. And I've been a working mum all my life. And I just feel these moments of pressure. So there is an element this year I'm thinking, how can I work more efficiently? And it's actually, it's weird stuff because I spend my day going back and forth. I do a film, I have three meetings at the office and, and my home and office are close to each other. And, and my day is really broken up. And I actually realized when I was away for a few days that I want to change that. I want to kind of like, Monday is a day with my CEO going through everything for the week. Tuesday is a day of strategy for the business and the growth. Wednesday is a day of all the things we're doing within different teams, like new product development and marketing and discussing future plans, future products, etc. Thursday is a day we have no meetings day. So for the rest of the company, 200 people, there are no meetings. But for me, that's where everyone shoves everything in my diary. So I'm like, actually, no, I need a day of in my head thinking, you know, I've got all these things here. So I might have 10 products that we're developing or thinking, what's that flow like? And what is the thing that that there are all these things in the lab we're doing, but which is the thing that really now is the thing we should pluck out of that and, and make now? So, and then Friday is a day of filming. And I think I'm really excited that I'm going to move to that because it will allow me to get into a flow. And I think what we can do is we can have a very busy day, but at the end feel we've got nothing done. Mm -hmm. Especially if we rush from one thing to another. It's like having a full-on OCD day. Mm. But I know that this is going to help me get in the flow. And I just need to do that more. And I think I'll feel far more efficient. I will feel I've done more, but in a better way that I've really thought through stuff. And sometimes I've had days where I literally go from one meeting to the next. And you like, after a meeting, you need to make notes, process what was discussed, think about what you want to do, what's the action, send a few emails. And at the moment, I have meeting, 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 meeting. Mm. And then at seven o'clock, I'm then catching up on my notes, sending out the emails. And also, because my memory is not brilliant, trying to remember everything and record everything. And I always have a tendency to type up every meeting as I'm in the meeting. But reading back on my notes. You know, it's one thing to type a meeting, but then reading back on your notes and letting them really sift in and thinking, what did I write down that I found really important in that meeting? So if I look over it again and write it again, it's reinforced in my brain. Mm. So just a few little changes that I'm going to be making this year. I think that's awesome. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm inspired. <laughs> I feel like sometimes our weeks um, sound a, a little like that too. And it's yeah. it's so right, but it's also... It's also giving you that space. I mean, it sounds like what you'll be making space for on Thursday, which is super important, is that space to be creative. Um, mm. And when you are a founder of a business and you've you've got such a strong why like you do, it's still important that you are still getting creative and still being attached to that rather than just being, you know, in the thick of all the organizational side of the business. So I think yeah. that, I mean, that sounds great. Maybe we should we do. We actually, we had meeting three Thursdays. <laughs> we do have meeting three Thursdays. We used Thursdays. to have them you and do. it was yeah. funny, it's Thursdays, but they seeped. Yeah. They, you know, you let yeah, one, you, cut, you break down one boundary and then it's, yeah. it's gone. And you've got to be straight. You've got to be straight. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing I heard from a really nice woman who runs um, the Diana Trust, uh, which is this one charity, um, which is in honor of Princess Diana. And she says, she looks at her diary and she makes sure 
that 20% of her week is her passion stuff. Mm. Because there's a lot of stuff we have to do as founders. Mm. And there's stuff that we have to do and we kind of enjoy doing. And then there's stuff that we enjoy doing, but we don't have to do. So it's like there's a quadrant. There's So if you had your quadrant of four, I can't remember what this thing's called. It's some Harvard guy told me this because I just was having CEO training over the last few months of just having a coach mm. to really help me to... Um, make what's important. and So there's top right quadrant, urgent and important. Bottom right quadrant, urgent, but actually not important. Um, top left quadrant is important, but not urgent. And bottom left quadrant is not important and not urgent. And it's really amazing how you just should be doing the things in the top right quadrant. And, and if you kind of feel, I've got so many things, what shall I start first? Then just attach labels to those things and then it really helps you to focus on what you actually should be doing. Mm, that's so great. It's so good. And I do want to talk to you about, you You brought up that you're 59 and you launched Trini in your 50s. And I think that's something that is so awesome to talk to because I think there's this misconception, right, that you are supposed to have it all figured out and kind of start all those things earlier. And it's really inspiring to see someone who's still so passionate about working and, um, you know, launching a business in your 50s. I think that's super inspiring because it is a misconception that you have to have it all figured out. And so I would love you to talk to that because I'm sure there might be a lot of people thinking, I mean, we have a lot of listeners predominantly, you know, between 25 and 30. However, there's still a lot of them who reach out to us and don't know what direction they're going in life. They're mm. still not quite sure what's their big interest or they're, they're freaking out that they haven't quite found their career path. And I think it's really inspiring when you hear of people who have led these successful life and successful in different ways, right? Like you obviously seem extremely happy with what you were doing and fulfilled in what you were doing as well, which is also important. I'm just so glad I'm not in my 20s. <laughs> just have to say it because 20s was not a good time for me. And and considering most of your listeners are in the 20s and 30s, it's a challenging time because yeah. hmm. you do compare yourself most to your peers. You see, oh my God, they're at university and they got that degree and whatever. Or, or look, she didn't have to kind of, her work is being an influencer. She just seems to get free shit and do nothing. And I went to study for four years. You know, there's a lot of comparisons. There's a lot of very diverse career paths. And, you know, we all have the friend who is the doctor and the professor, but probably I'd say fewer and fewer have this classic career path. And there's so many now fragmented career paths that are careers now. And, and when they started, they were like, oh, she's copping out there, you know. But they're actually careers now and influencers have careers. And if people think they shouldn't have to pay them, that's kind of incorrect because they earn money and, you know, they shouldn't do things for free. Um, but I do feel, for me... I had great passion when I was 13, 14, 15, and I lost it for a while. You know, I kind of went off the rails. And then when I was 26, I was like an 18-year-old again. I had to start over. I'd taken a year out of my life. And I didn't know. I still had this thing of what I felt I should do, you know. And should and would and could are the worst words in the English language. Because whenever I use should or would or could... I'm judging somebody else if I'm saying, oh, I wish you would have done that. Mm. I, and then I just think, Trini, why did you say that? It's just like, there's nothing, it's been done now. So how is that beneficial to that mm. person? And I I said it a lot. I still say it, but I, when I say it, I'm aware and I'm like, mm. and sometimes it would just come out my mouth. But 
I did that a lot of internalizing. I should be doing this by now. I wish I could have done that. And, and then I kind of had this period in my life where a lot of things happened. And for me, I stopped ever using those words on myself. So in my late 20s, there I am, and I'm thinking, I don't know what I should do because I don't feel I have any qualifications, but I know what I love, and I love making over girlfriends. And I'd done that consistently since I was six. I'd gone off to trade commodities. I'd gone off to do financial PR. I'd done a whole load of other things. But consistently through that, people would come to my bathroom, ask me for a skincare routine, ask me for a makeup routine, tell me what clothes shall I get from Miss Selfridge and Topshop and blah, blah, blah. And I loved it. It was something that I just felt so passionate about. And ultimately, we all want to do what we feel passionate about. And if mm. we can marry the two, it's the most amazing thing. And I think everybody should, should be able to do that. All right. And we can do the obligation of what our parents suggest we should do. We could have had tiger mother or fathers who put us in a path where it's like, you have to do these things to be acceptable to us as parents. And at some stage, I hope they wake up and think, actually, I have to do what's acceptable to me and what's loving to me. Because you've got to ultimately do it for yourself. If you do it for somebody else, it will ultimately fail. Let me just say that again. If you do it for somebody else, it will ultimately fail because you'll let yourself down at some stage. And that little voice inside you will say, I wish I was doing whatever, you know, but I can't because I have to do this for, for this reason inside your head. So, you know, some, my passion happens to be something that's very, you know, some people say, is it a real job? Um, but there are many different passions we all have. So I did at 35 get to a stage where I really followed my passion. So from 28, 29 to 35, I was kind of, you know, I worked as a, I started my life over, I worked as secretary to a very sweet, incredibly vertically challenged man who was running kindergartens. And I remember the first three months I thought, I can't even be a secretary. And then the next few months I was arranging my best friend's funeral who had died and suddenly I was the most efficient person in the world because it was something I was passionate about that she should have the best funeral. And so I weirdly realized from that moment when I set my mind to it and when it's something that really matters to me, I can do anything. I can do anything because that passion will make you powerful and strong. So that gave me that little first little step and then I sort of met Susanna and she, you know, we spoke about stuff. We both at this career crossroads. And then I told about my idea to do this kind of column for women where it would say what was around and what you could buy and talk honestly about fashion and clothing and beauty and stuff. And she called me a few days later and said, can I steal the idea? And I said, no, but we could do it together. And then we started TV, you know, we started the column for a few years and then we started TV and books and stuff. So that all was 10, 15 year career. And then that petered out. But as it was petering out, or before it was petering out, when I was doing that last years of it uh, around the world, I had the idea for Trini London. And so this transition was one where I let go of one career to welcome in the next. And that was my late 40s. And that was when I was thinking, you know, my, my salary was running out. I was in a house that was too expensive for me and I couldn't afford my lifestyle. And this was a house I'd like, you know, spent 10 years looking at that I wanted to buy. It was, you, you know, it was that kind of, this was my dream home. And then I realized that if I wanted to do Trini London, I would have to change some stuff. I'd have to let go of this house. I'd have to try and sell some clothes. I would have to do a lot of things. And it was a time when it was very tricky for me to do this. And there were a lot of things in my personal life that had happened. 
And I just thought, I have to do it. And that's the thing, when you get to a stage, when you think, I have no alternative, I have to take this path. That's your intuition. So then I did, and it was very difficult, first years, and people can look at things and think, wow, look at you now. But things take many years longer than people look at. So, you know, for me, it was five years before Trini London launched that I was starting to work on it. Mm -hmm. And we've been, um, you know, doing makeup for four years and doing skincare for a year. So so I'm 10 years into this career now. Oh, you, you know what? I, I think one of the most amazing things about your career is and something that I I just admire so much in you is that you... For a lot of people, I think it's so easy for us to make excuses about things. And I think obviously it's a lot of privilege that, that sometimes there are some things that are really hard on people. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that. But I think too, for a lot of us, there are so many people at your stage of TV when you would have thought, okay, I've been at my you know peak or prime or whatever. I'm now becoming less relevant. I'm getting less more work. I'm just going to go and, you know, I don't know, just stop because I'm not relevant anymore. But what I think is so inspiring, you have then gone and reinvented what you do in a different way in a business where you're now in control of your success. I think with with TV, obviously there is a lot that you can put a lot of work in, but at the end of the day, it's the producers or the TV networks that are purchasing your show, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. But you have, you know, after you've had a really long and successful career, you have then gone and taken back that control and switched it. And it is, it is just so inspiring because I think it's something that I think we do, especially as women, we let experiences or failures or things that didn't go right define what we can do tomorrow and in the future. And I think it's something that we're so passionate about talking about on this podcast and it kicked because if we let one failure define the rest of our lives, that is such a sad life. And I think what you said about not doing things for other people, I think it goes the other way in as well as not not doing them mm. because of other people because people will want you to fail. People will troll you like whatever. Yeah. But you're, you know, the 2 a.m. nights and the times you're traveling, you know, and you're just working every single day, you're not having a rest. They're not there. Mm. They're not the ones that are going to be there supporting you or the ones that they, they probably won't even care. And so I just think that is such an important message. I, I do think it's sometimes you kind of only know that you can help yourself, you know? Mm. And I think that you've got to be able to draw on yourself because sometimes you can't draw on, draw on other people. And one thing I've found, this is one thing I've really had to look at too this year is, I, very fortunately, in my 30s, I made many friends, in my 20s and 30s. But in my 50s, for the first seven years of my 50s, I literally saw my friends, a lot of them once a year at my birthday. And I would do this birthday dinner and I'd have like, you know, 30 friends, 40 friends. And through the year, maybe I might have five lunches with girlfriends because I didn't have time. And I kept saying to myself, you know, they'll be there. But it was, it was really getting to a stage where I found that, you know, somebody was having a their daughter's wedding or something. And it was like, maybe I wouldn't be invited or, you know, it, it's just, it, it was getting to that stage where I was thinking, hmm. And I then, I was listening to somebody, it might've been a podcast even, and they were saying, you know, your career at some stage is going to go and, and what will be left is your relationship if you have one and your friends. And so I had my birthday this year and I had like 30, 40 people. And sometimes you have to get up and say something 
to a group of people so that you're saying it to yourself, you know, that you put the line in the sand. And I said, you know, I, I look around the room and I just feel these are the people I've had in my life. Like, you know, there was Katie, she's been in my life since I was 16. There's somebody else who's since I was 20. And I could look around the room and see literally every year of my life. And, you know, I said to these people, this is the most powerful thing to me that my memories are with you of my life, of, of my past, of now and of the future. And I need to really know this year that I'm going to switch out how often I see my friends because they're like my fuel. So I literally now have gone from never seeing anyone to twice a week, I'm seeing people. This is a huge deal for me, okay? <laughs> and it's quite tricky to do, but I'm twice a week, I see it, if not three times a week. And even my daughter's like, mommy, you're, you're like so sociable now. <laughs> but just, it's the food. And lots of people in their 20s and 30s have tons of friends around them. But you can get to a stage in your life where you sort of put other things first. It could be actually, if you're listening, you've got into a relationship where you've sort of alienated yourself from your friendship group because you, it's all about the person you're with. And it's about that balance in life and you need that balance in life. So that is like my focus this year. So my focus this year is this work-life balance change and have this, um, you know, these women in my life who I love dearly and to have that mutual back and forth in my life this year. That's my mission for this year. I think that that is such wonderful advice. And Trini, thank you. Honestly, we could yeah. talk to you for hours. And for ever, anyone listening that wants to just continue to listen to you, we'll put some my, some of my favourite episodes you've done in the show notes as well. Um, thank you for your time. We appreciate it so, so very much. It was such a joy. And you asked lovely questions. And it was really nice to talk to you both. Thank you, Trini. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you ever want to get involved with our podcast, maybe we're talking about a segment, you have something relatable you want to chat about, a DNM, questions, um, please send your voice notes or your stories to us at KickPod, where you can DM us directly. Um, and you can also keep up with everything that we're doing on the podcast there as well. You can see the video content that we share and any other questions or updates. And we want to get you guys involved. You sure can. And if you want to find out more about Kick, you can find us on Instagram at Keep It Cleaner. Our website is keepitcleaner.com. You can download the app on the Google Play or the Apple Store. We have got a free seven-day trial. And you can find us on Instagram at Steph Claire Smith at Laurie.henshaw and on TikTok at Kick. We will chat to you soon. Bye.